Coming live from Boston, Massachusetts, USA, is our guest this evening. Very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And before I move forward, may I request you to subscribe, follow, like, and comment on whichever platform you're watching or listening to this show on. And today we have Peter Millington, founder of Scientific Financial Systems. And we'll be talking about a lot about if better, better data is, uh, may, helps you make better investment decisions. His, his company is all that you, perhaps if you are into the trading, into stock market, financial markets, his company would perhaps be the one that you would be looking for to give you the, help you get the best financial decision. Welcome to the show, Peter. Welcome to India. And Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your company, what you do, how you do. Thank you, AJ. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, great opportunity to speak to you today. Thanks so much for the invitation. My company is Scientific Financial. We're based in Boston. We have uh, a number of, of people on our staff that work in other cities in the U.S. Uh, our product is a software uh, tool that's, that's developed for large investment companies to help them to manage their research and, and investment strategies using technology and the latest kind of uh, trends and, and, and techniques in machine learning and, and data science. Okay. And about yourself, Peter, you have had a great, uh, you know, a lot of experience in, in this line, you know, from Fidelity to all those places. Can you tell us about yourself a bit? Thank you very much. So I grew up in Texas. Uh, my parents were from Engl England um, and I, I went to, um, uh, studied aerospace engineering in university and, and went to um, came to the Boston area because um, a graduate school at, at MIT here in Boston, um, worked in the defense industry for a few years and then went into finance and, and worked at Fidelity Investments for 17 years and then also ran uh, a hedge fund here in Boston for about five years before I started this uh, firm called Scientific Financial. Um, I, you know, always had a dream of uh, entrepreneurial kind of endeavors, um, with, and my father uh, also kind of was an entrepreneur. So uh, it's very exciting to actually be um, be fulfilling those dreams, and also kind of bringing a product to market that um, that we we believe is actually going to be very transformative to the investment industry. Okay, so in talking of you know investment decisions, better data use of data science, big data, machine learning, into asset management, into trading, into... So is trading today about just data? Where is the common man in this whole system? Is he out because he does not have the capacity to buy? Can you bat for the common man from your point of view, please? Very interesting. Yes. So um, the, the investment industry has evolved quite a bit, you know, and it continues to evolve. Um, there's just so much more information today than there used to be. And it, and it happens, you know, it, it comes out very rapidly and, and disseminates kind of broadly. Um, so there's been a major trend in, in finance to adopt uh, quantitative investing techniques um, out of necessity because there's just too much information to process uh, just subjectively uh, using just the human mind alone. Uh, so that, that's kind of the way things have been evolving and firms have felt compelled to embrace these techniques to stay competitive and stay relevant. So with respect to um, where the individual falls into that, you know, there's there's a need now for um, investors to adopt and embrace um, quantitative techniques and use 
uh, data information processing in various forms to actually be able to um, perform and be competitive in the investment landscape. Right. So from a common man's perspective, what what is quantitative uh, invest, investing? Because see, we I can I did a Google search. It talks about you know investment approach that uses advanced mathematical mo modeling, computer systems, and data analysis to calculate the optimum probability of executing a profitable trade. Does it mean the same from your point of view? Uh, what does it mean? Can you explain it in terms of a common man's understanding? Yes. So there's a lot of different types of quantitative investing, and um, you know. Uh, you know, it, it can it can vary, um, you know, from, you know, being purely something that is a translation of uh, traditional approaches to something that, you know, where you let, you know, uh, AI techniques kind of uh, determine and, and, and find relationships. Um, and, and so it runs a big spectrum of, of, of what it means and how it's defined. But at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of information out there uh, that affects, um, you know, security prices and, uh, you know, sometimes you know they're causal and sometimes they're not so there's a big problem in terms of actually figuring out what information is relevant how to actually use that information how to combine it with other information and at the end of the day make informed investment decisions so ultimately you know you have to bring some experience and judgment to bear as well at the end of the day you know um the the, the, the investors have to actually have an understanding of what's driving the markets as well as what you know how to craft an investment strategy leverage the data leverage the data science techniques but at the same time make sure that um your positions that you know you're putting in your portfolio you know are, are justifiable understandable explainable to investors um and actually have sound investment judgment and and you know um, and methodologies behind them so for example you know uh you you can still utilize you know, in uh, valuation techniques, you can still utilize good business principles in quantitative techniques, you know, identifying, for example, which companies out there are being run well and which companies are being run poorly, which companies are embracing kind of, uh, you know, good management techniques. You know, you can define all those quantitatively, bring them to bear and identify, you know, and define these things, but also identify which ones are actually most profitable by looking at historical relationships, doing historical studies, and then um, building a system whereby you can actually um, leverage, you know, all of these influences in practice to to provide kind of positions that are justifiable and explainable, but also still based on good investment principles. Okay, Peter. So let me ask you this way: Who are your clients? Who uses, uh, you know, your your data, your your technology? that you are you are you provide who does it you talk about a technology called quotient you know it provides enterprise solutions for investment managers that provides a data driven view of investment opportunities and strategies right who uses so such, such yeah activity? so you mentioned our, our our investment product we call it quotient um you know i spent uh, 20 plus years in the investment business in what we call the buy side where you know managing money investment portfolios for clients you know, at Fidelity Investments, a very large firm, there's a lot of other firms like that, but they actually um, still need to manage kind of a research process, manage um, databases, manage, you know, uh, information processing. So our target audience for our products tend to be larger investment firms. They might be mutual fund companies. They might be investment banks. They might be large hedge funds, you know, professionals that, you know, work in the business every day 
um, but at the same time can still utilize um, some, some software and analysis tools to help them do their job more effectively and more efficiently. Um, a lot of these firms have very large budgets and very large staff, but at the same time, um, they, they actually would like to, you know, perform their work more efficiently and, and make sure that they get the most out of uh, their staff. So, you know, a lot of these firms hire um, very highly educated PhDs, a lot of times in physics and, um, you know, engineering, et cetera. Um, and, and they actually are very savvy technologically, but at the same time, you know, we, we our product uh, looks to help them do their work more effectively and more efficiently so they can focus on the, the value-added aspect of actually being creative and bringing those technologies in a net, you know, very kind of thoughtful way into their portfolio processes. And, and the stock market, people who are uh, associated with the stock market, obviously on, in their in their day-to-day -day trading. That's brokers, correct. Yes, they do it. Okay. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yes. So it tends to be larger firms, but at the same time, a lot of these techniques can be deployed you know, by individuals, um, particularly people that are actually, um, you know, that, that have technical skills that can do some of these things on their own. There's a lot of opportunity to actually get creative. Okay. So in a way, it helps you in algorithm-based uh, decision-making. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yes. Now, there is a certain degree of impression across the world, I can say. Uh, I've read it at different places. Even in India, there had been some controversy uh, of, of late, and there is some case also going on in regards to that, that algorithms, specifically if you, you know, the, just tinker with the system, then can it can work to advantage of only some people. Yes. Even a fraction of second or some seconds can lead to, lead to, you know, taking a lot of people out of the equation and leading to advantage to a lot of people. Yes. Now, first is, that is it like cartelization is technology leading to cartelization i'm not accusing it that one should not go for it that is it that uh, certain people are using uh, such new technology like you know data science artificial learning and all this stuff leading to an impression that there is cartelization and the common man out of the system how do you see all these things from a point of view only as a pure creator of a system which is to enable such transactions. Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, algorithms are designed by people, right? So um, there's actually a designer and an author, right? And there's hopefully some, some justifiable kind of, um, you know, research and understanding of what's actually in that. Um, with respect to, you know, how that plays out in, in terms of, uh, you know, just, um, uh, just, in terms of firms and individuals and that sort of thing, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's very competitive. So at the same time, you know, firms look for an advantage, right? Um, you know, the algorithms, uh, they, they you know oftentimes can find advantages through rapid trading, you know, and, and, you know, processing the information more quickly, you know, as a whole, you know, those sort of um, approaches do improve the, and, and uh, progress the state of the art which ultimately does make the markets more efficient and ultimately does benefit society. But at the same time, it, you know, it, it is, it is challenging for individuals to be able to embrace these techniques themselves because they can be quite intensive in terms of uh, just the, the, the initiatives and the cost involved as well. But uh, at the end of the day, the algorithms are ultimately 
the next generation of just investment strategies, um, you know, um, that, that have been around for, for many decades. Um, but today they've just become more sophisticated, more, you know, um, more, more rapid, um, and, uh, and, and seek out a lot of different, um, you know, opportunities and inefficiencies. And at the end of the day, you know, the inefficiencies will be exploited, but eventually they'll be, you know, they'll be arbitraged away, which actually makes the whole system perform uh, more effectively and does, you know, benefit kind of, uh, the economics uh, in general. So, so Peter, you are the creator of such a technology. Your firm creates yeah. some such technology. Yes. Now, have you tried to build, you know, within the system itself that it is for the positive and not for the negative? See, firms and a lot of people, it's it's human nature, you know, to take advantage of any loophole or any inconsistency in the system for their benefit. Right. Perhaps even I would do. Humans are yeah. infallible, you know, fallible. Yes. Right. So as, as a technology person who has created such stuff, how do you look at it? Have, are there chances of building the same, uh, you know, use of machine learning, artificial intelligence into the system to make the system better and positive? Right. So... Um... You know, I think it's always been the case that people look for opportunities in, in their investments, right? Ident identify situations where, you know, the price of an asset is um, too low or too high and there's a way to monetize that, right? So that's not a new kind of approach. You know, these techniques are really just, like I said, it's the evolution of that whole process um, in terms of fairness. You know, I, I think, um, you know, anybody can kind of bring these to bear. It is, it is harder to do this at scale today, you know, for an individual, but at the same time, you know, this is the evolution of just uh, the markets, you know, embracing, you know, the techniques that um, identify opportunities. And, uh, you know, again, this is also kind of um, happening across all the industries. It's not specific to finance. Um, you know, all, a lot of industries are embracing kind of data science, algorithms, kind of opportunities, you know, that improve and, and progress their business, right? So the investment industry is, is not different in that regard. But I will say one, one of the distinctions in the financial world is that people are extremely secretive of, of you know, what they're doing, right? They, they develop their techniques. They have kind of their own, you know, trade secrets. And a lot of times they, you know, guard them and don't always share them. So, you know, there's a lot of innovation going on in finance, but a lot of that you actually don't hear about in the press because, you know, when, when somebody identifies and discovers a technique that works, they want to keep it to themselves. And that's understandable to some degree. So you don't always know where the state of the art is in the financial industry. So, Okay. So uh, why I'm talking so much about this particular aspect is the way I grew up, I used to see a lot of day traders, you know, people used to uh, trade during the day, make some profit out of you, of all that system uh, that in stock trading, and then they would be happy about it. And that was about it. Yes. But now with whole change of things happening, with so much of technology coming in, uh, not that I'm batting for those day traders, but that those people are out of the system. The bigger question is that a lot of people used to invest uh, even in mutual funds. Forget about the stock market. They used to read for themselves which mutual fund is 
good for them, try to do their own understanding. But with hundreds of mutual funds existing today, even to find a good mutual fund, they will need to have a better understanding. With so much of data-driven decisions by the mutual fund themselves, do you think it will be easy for a person like me to understand what they are talking about? Forget about putting money into the stock markets where there are hundreds and hundreds of stocks. Right. And so that's a great question. So I, I think um, there has been kind of a trend towards, um, you know, democratization of information, the avail availability of information. Um, there also has been um, a, a, an evolution of, um, of strategies such that, you know, in the past there were investment managers that had a certain thought process um, and they would actually manage their portfolios with certain philosophies and that's all good. You know, over time, those have been captured into um, definable kind of structured, you know, systematic investment approaches. And they actually now are, you know, are available in a lot of forms in ETFs or mutual funds that actually, you know, formally embrace kind of these techniques and make them available to individual investors. So ultimately, you know, all investors, even individual investors now are starting to get the benefit of being able to invest in various ETFs or mutual funds that actually, you know, um, make these algorithms available um, to the common, you know, investor, which is, is good in general, in the sense of giving people, you know, that option to, um, to participate. But, you know, um, another aspect I was going to mention is that, um, we actually uh, leverage uh, a computing language called Python and, and Python has right. evolved over the last 10 or 15 years dramatically. And it's now become the de facto language to use for data science. And one of the great things about Python is that it's an open source language, which means that, you know, anybody can actually get their hands on these tools and start to uh, deploy and, and apply some of these techniques themselves. So the fact that the technologies a lot of times are open source really does make, you know, some of these techniques and these capabilities available to individuals. Okay. Okay. I get your point. You have dealt with my questions, you know, some of these questions, which are not easy to answer for one particular company or as, as the founder of one particular company, because it's an idea which, which is there and it is going to happen. Data science and use of technology is obviously going to happen. You know, big, big data is going to be used. And obviously human nature is that every individual and, uh, and companies will certainly try to use it to their advantage. The right. only question is that whether it's a fair playing field to for everybody. But yes. then be that as it, as it may, we will talk about the technology itself. Now, what is big data? How did it come into this investing part that big data can be utilized, data kinds can be utilized, machine learning. What is machine learning doing in this? <laughs> I thought machine learning, uh, yeah, from a common man's perspective, machine learn a bit about how you do things and what you do, and then try to replicate it in your, in their, in your future day-to-day -day work. How so does, what is machine learning doing this, all these things? So it's very exciting, um, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence, um, you know, they've been around for many, many decades, but, um, you know, and there's been some start and stops, start and stops, you know, of that, you know, application of, of those techniques over the years. But, you know, the, um, I think the explosion in, in computational capability and cloud computing, 
you know, have really made some of these techniques viable now, and you see them in a lot of other products. But, you know, it's always the case that the financial industry is on the cutting edge, you know, because um, there's, you know, you know, if, if you can be creative, you know, in, in deploying these in, in investment strategies, you know, people can actually end up generating great returns and generating a lot of money, you know, for their investors. So there's always an interest in applying the latest techniques in the financial domain. Um, and, and so ultimately, at the end of the day, these techniques are more efficient at processing information and a lot of information and identifying kind of patterns that may not be immediately obvious to, you know, um, to, to sort of human kind of, uh, you know, thinking because, you know, humans, and they do bring their own biases to the table. You know, they have a certain way of thinking about things. You know, they've been educated, you know, to think about problems a certain way and computers can sometimes, and, and you know, these techniques can sometimes discover patterns that, you know, may not be immediately obvious to, um, to, to an individual uh, without that, the, the aid of, of having some of these techniques. That being said, one of the risks here is that, you know, if, if people are not careful, they can develop a system that they don't understand and, you know, they can let it help them with their trading but when things don't go well, you know, it's 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 kind of a, a risky place to be when you, you know, if you don't fully understand how and what your algorithm is doing. So, you know, there's a balancing act there in terms of leveraging the power of these techniques, which can educate you and, and you know, and bring you to see certain opportunities and patterns that you might not have seen otherwise, but at the same time, not leading you into a place where, you know, you don't have any understanding of, of what's, you know, what, what your system is doing. And, you know, that gets back to this kind of phrase that you sometimes hear called black box and, you know, whether or not it's a black box and you do or do not understand what's happening inside the black box. So, you know, I believe that, you know, there's uh, a need to have a good balance of judgment, you know, letting these tools help you to explore, help you to, you know, learn, but at the same time, not, you know, going blindly uh, down a path where, you know, the, a, a technique or a machine learning technique or AI would actually um, would, would have you, you know, embrace a, a strategy that you don't fully understand or, or can't be justified kind of from, from a fundamental kind of investment, you know, standpoint. So you have to, I think, balance that off. So at the end of the day, so that you're, you know, you have some care in terms of what you're doing, how you're doing it, and, you know, to, to balance off that risk and to be able to uh, have a comfort level and explainability as to what's happening inside your investment strategy. Okay, so tell me a situation like this, like say if there is a stock market big crash. Yes. Or or a thing like two thousand eight. So, you know there were uh, there were people whom one could put the onus on that th these are the ones who could be told uh, about that you you are to be blamed. Yes. Or the system. But suppose a thing like that happens today when all the system are going uh, uh, based on algorithms and data science and everything. Who does one blame? Is it, is it the invest, investment manager? Or is, that, is, is it the stockbroker, the trader on the floor? Or is it, is it somebody higher up in the ladder? Right. Or is it, is it the, is it the, uh, the supercomputer or whatever you can call it, the data right. science or, or the PhDs that you have hired to decode all that thing. Who do yeah. you blame in that? 
Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, I think at the end of the day, you know, the, the author, authors of these algorithms, you know, um, they, they have to understand kind of the implications of what they're doing. You know, the, a lot of the work I've done has been more, you know, broad security stock selection based, not, you know, trading directionally the markets and, you know, the high frequency, you know, effects. But there are a lot of, um, of algorithms, trading algorithms out there that, that sometimes can, um, can introduce volatility into the marketplace, you know, and a lot of times when there's big moves in, in the broad markets, in the indices, um, there there can be a belief that you know the, the the high frequency trading you know algorithms were you know involved in that you know um, you know I, I think you know there may be some truth in that, but at the same time, you know um, the these are algorithms that are implemented by individuals, right? So and um, you know I think there is a lot of care that goes into thinking about you know what can go wrong because at the end of the day, these firms that deploy these techniques, you know, they actually are, are making investments, their own capital on the line. So they do care about those sort of things. You know, it's not kind of dissimilar to, you know, robotics where, you know, if a, if a robot does a certain actions, who's responsible, you know, ultimately it's the, the, the robot designer, right? You know, um, is, is the one that's ultimately kind of just behind the decisions to make you know, implement the algorithm. So, you know, but, but yes, there are um, things do happen much more rapidly today, you know, and it is very hard, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, it's very hard for individuals to, to operate competitively on those very rapid timeframes that now, you know, happen, you know, a lot of times trades and trade considerations are, you know, micros, you know, seconds and that sort of thing, you know, but at the same time, it needn't be that way always, the work that I do is not high frequency necessarily. You can still bring, you know, um, data science and, and, and artificial intelligence techniques to longer term investing, making, you know, better investment decisions on a longer time frame, not necessarily doesn't have to be about, you know, the high frequency trading algorithms, you know, and so a lot of the work that we do at our firm is actually, you know, uh, creating better investment strategies that, you know, have longer term investment timeframes, you know, months, possibly even years, but actually, you know, using those modern techniques to identify opportunities. So it, it needn't always be about, you know, the trade, the, the, the high frequency trading effects that you sometimes do get a lot of headlines in the media. Right. I understand. I hope the wise man in the company, you know, in a firm yes. or the, even, or the level headed investment manager still finds his place amongst all these changes in technology that are happening. But tell us about the challenges that you know that, that are there in managing data in a quant investment model. What are the challenges that an investment manager or whoever is handling your platform or product? Yeah, so I think it's, um, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of information. Like I said earlier, you know, you have to balance off, you know, these techniques with uh, sound investment principles. Um, and ultimately, I, I think bringing your experience to the table, you know, uh, of actually uh, spending time in the markets, you know, understanding what drives the markets, uh, understanding how you can use data um, to identify opportunities, uh, but at the same time, having a good understanding of uh, what it is that, you know, the algorithms are suggesting, you know, that, that the opportunity is. 
Um, I think those are challenges um, to, like I said, bring bring creativity to bear, bring experience to bear. Also recognize that there's opportunity in the new techniques. There's opportunity in new data, but using it kind of responsibly, but also using it artfully. Um, and, and bringing some sound judgment to the table as well so that you can kind of do all those things creatively and responsibly um, to get to a better place. Um, but at the same time, you know, you can do things blindly and, and, and a lot of times those things do not work well in practice. So those are some of the challenges, I think, with respect to um, another challenge is, you know, understanding the risks involved uh, in your investment strategies as you're embracing new techniques. Sometimes the risk um, the risks are not as well defined because you're doing things atypically, you're doing things in a new way. And so to some degree, some of the traditional approaches of understanding what the risks of your investment strategy might be sometimes are not as well defined as you'd like. So, you know, balancing that off and actually trying to evolve your risk management techniques at the same time as evolving your investment opportunities, I think, is a, a challenge as well. So, so I was going to also, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was also going to mention that one of the challenges is um, there's a lot of information out there. So you do have to hypothesize, you do have to, you know, be creative, um, but you have to look at a lot of different information and look at it rapidly. But at the end of the day, what the name of the game is here is to is to be more informed, to tie into more information sources, and to explore how to use those information sources. And to do that exploration, you know, quickly so that you can discover, you know, opportunities in new information more quickly than your competitors and then deploy that more quickly. Because over time, it is generally true that information that is opportunistic will end up getting discovered by more people and eventually it becomes less opportunistic over time. So there's this continual kind of um, uh, exercise of trying to stay ahead of the crowd trying to be the first adopter of you know new information to be the, the the early adopter of new techniques and to stay ahead of, of the competition so that you can actually um be the one that uh, rides that you know that innovative kind of uh wave you know because it will over time you know the the, the state of the art does need to progress and you do need to stay ahead of the curve all the time so so this technology is already being used so how are these early adopters, you can say, uh, these managers, they are overcoming these challenges. Yeah. So as I said before, a lot of times people don't want to share their secrets, right? But, uh, you know, people are bringing these to bear. There's a lot of new information sources that are out there, thanks to the internet, thanks to uh, just the fact that companies are collecting a lot of information on their business and on their customers. And it's valuable information, not only for their businesses, but for other businesses and obviously for investors as well. You know, so, for example, if you have a utility company that maybe is just delivering uh, electricity um, to their customers, right, they actually know in real time, you know, if, if their customers are using more information, more energy, right, because of weather or if there's a disruption, you know, um, you know, there's also some very interesting examples of, of you know, uh, investment companies using satellite Im image data, you know, to look at, you know, what's happening in, you know, a factory, look at what's happening in, you know, in, in shipping ports to get, you know, real-time information on, you know, um, those business, you know, considerations that are going to affect, you know, the profitability of, of certain industries 
you know, and they, those numbers may not ultimately get kind of released to the public for many months, but the information is already starting to flow through. And if you can adopt kind of these new information sources that will give you those, those insights more quickly, then you're going to, you know, actually be able to act on that and be more predictive of what's coming down, you know, and what's going to affect stock prices. And you would actually get an early indication of that. So there's a lot of opportunities in terms of, you know, embracing this new information, you know, and, and looking at how you can kind of infer, you know, these things, you know, obviously social media, people share a lot of information about their opinions of products, for example, you know, and that actually, um, you know, you can get a lot of that stuff, you know, in real time in terms of, you know, is, is a product selling well? Is it not selling well? Is there supply chain issues? You know, people saying, I, I can't buy this product because it's sold out at stores, you know, and, and then you can actually say, well, that's going to be a problem for the company's not going to actually be able to sell as many, you know, units they expected because, you know, they're having supply and delivery issues. And, you know, so investors find ways to get at this new information and embrace it and put it in their investment strategies you know, more quickly now, and it all happens very rapidly. And, you know, it all comes back to investors actually being able to tie in and adopt and explore and, and you know, and act on these new information sources more quickly than their, their competitors. Okay, Peter. Peter, uh, is this platform or the technology that you provide, uh, is it applicable to other industries also out beyond the financial uh, uh, world? Yes. So data science is becoming more common across all industries. As I said earlier, finance tends to be a, a lead, leading adopter of, of, you know, new techniques. But, you know, I believe that there's been a, a major shift in business in general to adopting um, data science techniques, business intelligence, et cetera. There's just a lot more information that companies have on their own operations. And there's also um, uh they, they are investing in um, bringing, you know, building staff and, and departments that, um, that can analyze that information to help them make better business decisions. So I do believe that, you know, data science in general is becoming a lot more pervasive across all industries. And arguably, you know, all industries um, need to embrace those techniques to, to operate more efficiently. And if they don't, then they will not actually be as competitive you know, and so I do believe that, you know, uh, over the last 10 or 15 years, there's been an explosion in terms of, um, of, of the adoption of these techniques, as well as companies investing to develop and have this capability in-house to, to let them run their business more efficiently. So that means a lot of business for you. Yeah, so we're focused at the moment on the financial industry. But yes, a lot of the things we're developing can be applied to broad uh, industry and broad business. And I think that's very exciting. That's a great point. Great, great. My last question to you, Peter, is to understand, think of me as a layman, I don't understand this, but there is a huge talk of Web 3.0. Now, whatever you know about, you are an industry insider. Yeah. A lot of technologies, whole apparatus has been built over the years, the last to, uh, web 2.0, maybe around 2005, around that time it was launched, or whatever it was. But in the last two decades, whole operator apparatus has been built on the present system. A lot of your business or your products are also built on the present system, the way people 
download or upload or you utilize that information. What is Web 3.0? If it comes and whenever it comes, then will what whatever you have done so far, will it get nullified? Will it be easy to, you know, uh, onboard on Web 3.0? What is that monster or you or you can say uh, a great good elephant? You can yeah. say. Can you talk, tell us about that? That's a, that's a great question. I would say that, um, you know, the Web 2.0, you know, has really revolutionized, um, you know, society and investments. Um, at the end of the day, I think there has been a challenge in terms of getting information. Um, and it's great to have standardizations around those, you know, how do you get information? What format does it come in? Um, and, and, you know, cloud is actually being a big part of this, you know, progression. But I think going forward, you know, with, with Web 3.0, there'll be, I think, you know, even more information, but also kind of more standards. And I, I think that it's going to be easier to get access to, to more information. But at the same time, there's a, still a need of, you know, uh, evolving and improving the techniques of what to do with that information. So what we try to do at our company is to help our customers to, um, to get their hands on, on the data and apply the techniques more, more quickly, right? And, and um, actually, you know, be more actionable on those sort of opportunities more quickly and to get the companies out of the business of the data management, data accessing, and then more into the business of analysis and creativity. And I think that coming back to your question, I think Web 3.0 is just going to, you know, highlight that even more because uh, there's going to be more information. I know there's kind of a big evolution of the, the metaverse, um, and I, I think that that's going to play a role too. You know, I think the investment industry will always embrace these latest techniques and look for ways to profit from them. So I'm sure that you know the the, the financial community is going to be at the leading edge of of finding ways to utilize web 3.0 in new ways. But I do think at the end of the day, it's just going to be a, a more efficient way to get information and to collect information and, and to, to interact with other people. But, you know, it will just highlight the need for, you know, uh, a way to actually um, to leverage and, um, and find opportunity to that information. And that is going to I do think the financial industry is going to continue to be a leader there. Great. And for me, you are leader. You are a big leader in your own space. And I'm sure a lot of people who are hearing you, seeing you, will certainly want to talk to you, understand your product better to for them to utilize. How do they contact you? Oh, yes. So um, so our website is siphonsys.com. It's S-C-I-F-I-N-S-Y-S.com. You know, there's a lot of information on on our, our website. Um, you know, they can also reach out to, to me, um, Pete at siphonsys.com, and we have info at siphonsys.com. You know, we also have a lot of information on our website as to what our product does and how it works. Um, we're very excited about what we're doing here. Um, you know, we believe that the financial industry um, is going to continue to evolve and embrace these new techniques, and we want to be a part of, of helping, you know, move the uh, state of the art forward and help firms kind of um, apply these new techniques. So people can go to our website and they can reach out to us. Um, there's a lot of information. And like I said earlier, 
Um, there's a lot of ways that individuals can apply these techniques, you know, themselves and or to get involved in, in you know, applying these techniques in the industry. You know, it's, it's becoming a dominant force in the industry. There's a lot, there's a lot of opportunities uh, for employment in the financial industry to apply data science techniques. And as I said earlier, you know, people make their way into finance from a lot of different educational backgrounds. And it's a very interesting, um, you know, area to, to, to work and to pursue a career. I actually personally found it very satisfying. There's a lot of very bright people with a lot of diverse backgrounds. And so I would recommend that people also consider looking into that as a career. Great, great. In fact, I'll also put a lot of your information, your site information, your information onto the YouTube description so that people find it easy to connect with you. So uh, that's a lot of information, a lot of understanding uh, from you, Peter. And this is not the last time we will continue to get to you again and again, because you can answer a lot of questions that we will be having going forward, not only on Web 3.0, but also on this data science and machine learning. As machines continue to learn, we will also continue to learn about them. <laughs> so with this, so with this, it's a wrap on this edition of the KJ Masterclass. Thank you so much for your time, Peter. Thank you, AJ. It was a pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks again for the invitation. Have a great day.